With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Neil Zacharias and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. This is a fascinating episode of the podcast. It features Feng Ru Lin and Max Rai, two of the founders of Turtle Tree Labs, a new food startup that's working on a groundbreaking technology that has the potential to shape the future of not just how we get dairy milk, but also how humans will feed their infants. Turtle Tree Labs is the first biotech company in the world with the ability to create milk from all mammals. In this conversation, we cover how and why Turtle Tree Labs got started, the unique technology breakthrough that enabled the company to create milk from stem cells of cows, and why they decided to focus on dairy byproducts instead of liquid milk. But this is a wide-ranging discussion that gets into everything from the macroeconomic trends around dairy to the challenge of developing a unique product and go-to-market strategy for the company's game-changing technology. I really enjoyed getting to know Fengru and Max and learning about their bold mission and the important combination of solid science and business smarts that's driving the company's efforts. This might be the first time you have heard about Turtle Tree Labs and the work that they're doing, but I predict that this company is going to do some big things in the years ahead and is well positioned to transform the future of milk production. Sinfingru from uh, Turtle Tree Labs. Thank you for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Thanks for having us. Hey, thank you for having us. So you both have a background in the tech industry, I hear, which um, one can say, one can argue that you're still in the tech industry. So, <laughs> um, but the work that you're doing now is focused on food. When did both of you start thinking about food and the problems with food? Mm-hmm. So um, my background has always been in tech. I work for Google. I work for Salesforce. Uh, but on the side, I love to make cheese. And in the search to find good milk to make my cheese, that's where I found the problem statement that we needed to find different ways of creating milk. And that's how this, this company started. And did you try plant-based milks? And uh, what was your opinion of that? Because that's my first question, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So... Plant-based milk is great for substitutes for drinking milk, but to create cheese and yogurt and butter cream, these good byproducts that comes from the milk itself, you need the actual composition of milk that um, you, you require for uh, the casein, the whey, uh, the different bacteria that's inside that would react with the the 
the calcium that's inside to create the, these byproducts. So you're not able to create the true functionality of these byproducts without the full milk. And uh, that's why we decided to work on this, um, this alternative to um, current methods of creating milk. And what about you, Max? <laughs> well, I can tell you right now, uh, when we first started this project, uh, <clears throat> it, was, it wasn't um, where, we, where we are today. We went down a few different, um, few different methods first. They failed. And just this is how this is how business is. You you keep working and you keep churning, uh, and uh, we fit, we ended up finding our science team actually ended up finding uh, other way to do this because originally we t- we tried this something called the recombinant method, which is you take milk into a bunch of little components and you mix it all up and uh, you you have the full composition. So that was our initial um, plan and uh, how we started. Uh, now. Through, working through that, uh, we ended up finding the right way to do this, and we'll go we'll go into that in a little while. Yeah, so let's you know. I want to even start back as in when you first thought, okay, I need a better way to make uh, cheese, and I'm going to try to figure out what this alternative milk is going to be. Were you aware of some of the recent? Obviously, you must. I'm guessing you were aware of some of the recent developments in cell-based meat and the technology when it comes to uh, recombinant proteins, but also, mm-hmm. um, I guess they're calling it cultivated <laughs> uh, production of food as well. And when you say you had a tech background, I'm assuming that was not in food tech. So where did you find the people to do the research in the first place to identify if which one of these solutions could be the one for you? So personally, I've been following the cell-based um, companies for quite some time. Right when Memphis first started, uh, some of these other companies started out. Uh, I, I'm very passionate about the space, and uh, although you're right, my background is actually in AI, machine learning, um, and uh, to a certain degree, even quantum algorithms. Uh, but I, I'm very passionate about the space, and, um, and and I do have some friends in in uh, who are um, PhDs in uh, molecular biology and stem cell research. So initially, we pulled some of these uh, researchers together and started brainstorming and looking at different ways of doing this. Uh, and that's where we started the, the path uh, to trying to make this happen. Uh, but we de- I, knew, I knew right away, though, we had to use the cutting-edge technology, which is the cell-based tech, to be able to, um, to achieve this. It, we just had to find out how to do it. Mm. And you have a third co-founder, too, who has a, a more slightly different background compared to both of you. (laughs) Sure, yeah. So M, short for M. Kulima, he is third generation of Clover Sonoma, one of the largest organic dairies here in California. Um, His company has always been a dairy processor. They source milk from 13 different farms in the region. And to become organic means that he has to lead these 13 farms to be organic as well and bring all this uh, to B Corp status. So his dairy processor is def- definitely um, a kind of company that Turtle Tree looks up to and hope to work with in, in the future. So a former dairy farmer, or at least from the business of dairy farming, um, expert in AI and someone who worked for companies like Google, um, how, how did the three of you even meet Sure. So I've known Max uh, for a long time, and I knew he's very knowledgeable in the food tech space. So when I had my 
problem statement of looking for good milk in Asia, I knew he was the person to go to. And both of us put our heads together to research these different areas of creating milk. And that's when we found out that we should use stem stem cell-based milk methods to create the milk. As for M, I was working for Google previously, and his wife, coming from the US, Google, had the opportunity to work for Google in Singapore. So he came along as a trailing husband, and that's how we got to meet each other. It's really interesting that you chose milk, because um, I've sort of been surprised why that wasn't one of the first places that most companies started. Um, And Part of the answer to that could be because um, meat seems to be, or at least red meat, is beef is the bigger problem environmentally. And perhaps the unit economics of uh, producing milk is, is not profitable. I'm just trying to figure out why before the three of you came around, uh, which was about a year or so ago when you started working on this, why were other companies that were focused on the cell-based space not thinking of milk? Like, was there something unique about milk that made it challenging? So, <clears throat> first of all, trying to make milk directly from cells is is not really possible. So, pre- previously, uh, there actually are quite a few um, plant-based milk companies because that's really where we saw a lot of the hype in the past and we saw a lot of companies taking their science, uh, taking their leadership and trying to build out products that are plant-based. Uh, the only recently in the last few years there's so much um, there's so much innovation in stem cell research where we're able to differentiate cells into different uh, uh, in different ways uh, and of course expertise has also grown along with that a lot more science um, is involved uh, so we are going to see more of this uh, mm. we know that we're the first company in the world that's able to use stem cell based technology and find a way to create milk but we know that we won't be the last. Mm. And so you found talent, obviously, that could help with the research. What is the technology at the highest level for someone like me who has zero idea about any of this? Sure. So what we're doing is uh, we are sourcing stem cells from four different um, four different sources. It could be from the milk itself, from the mammary glands, and others. And we have patented all these uh, four different sources of stem cells. Then we will differentiate these stem cells into memory glands, which is really building the engine that would then create the milk. These memory glands would then be put in a special environment where it would be induced to make milk, and thereafter the cells would be filtered away, and the end product is milk without any of the GM cells. So as opposed to meat, which I understand is about cell replication, this mm. isn't about replication. This is about actually extracting uh, mammary glands or cells and then having that produce milk in a, outside of the cow. That's right. That's right. So um, it's it's really amazing because we are not consuming the cells itself, which would dramatically lower the cost. And as well, um, these cells can be induced again to, to create the milk. So uh, there's less wastage on the media that is used to uh, to differentiate the cells as well as uh, the reuse of, the, of these cells. And this may be a very dumb question, but I, I guess when I think about cells producing milk outside of a cow, uh, the first thing that I was wondering is that doesn't doesn't the cow have other 
uh, things in it that helps produce the milk besides just the, the cells? I mean, aren't you drawing upon nutrients from the cow's digestion? How are the cells able to produce it? Do you have to feed it some media and nutrients so that it is able to sort of do the same thing that a mammary gland of a cow would do? Absolutely. So um, you're correct in saying these cells would need um, to be in a special environment to start lactating. Mm. So some of the things that needs to be in an environment would be things like vitamins, minerals, insulin. And for us, lucky for us, 90% of milk is, is water. So a lot of that media would constitute of water. Another reason why I, I was kind of surprised no one tackled this problem first. Uh, it seems to me... I know it's not easy, but it seems to be a much simpler problem to tackle versus trying to recreate muscle meat (laughs) and and fat and other things that a lot of companies are focused on. So um, I think uh, you're right about that. But I I think it was a way that it was approached. Because mm -hmm. remember, we even ourselves, initially, we uh, failed the the first month or so trying to do this recombinant method. Because um, if you look at this, in, in traditional way, everybody's trying to look at the the, the milk entirely and seeing how they can make uh, how they can uh, break it up and and uh, create the different components and mix it up. Uh, and directly, the cells themselves we we, we can't um, create milk out of. So it had to. It was a lot of uh, back and forth between our science team uh, and uh, ourselves uh, that that actually found this other method of doing this. And then, of course, it really helped that our lead scientist is a uh, is a stem cell biologist whose expertise is in differentiating uh, these cells into uh, mammary gland cells. So that was that was a big part of it. Uh, these type of expertise is not across the board. They're, they're not, um, a lot of these other companies may not have access to them directly. Yeah. And so, if I, yeah, go ahead. And if I may add, um, we have friends from um, Baldorf, Ryan Bethencourt. He himself drew up a really cool matrix um, in his office that talks about the different food types on each of the, on the y-axis. For example, seafood, chicken, pork, beef. And in the x-axis is plant-based, and the second one is recombinant method, and the third is cell-based. So for the dairy axis against cell-based, it was empty before we come in. So it was just a matter of time before someone thought of a technology to fill that gap, and we, we just happened to be the first. Yeah, and it's and what I've gathered is that it doesn't mean that the recombinant method doesn't work. It does. Some other companies have figured it out. Yes. It also doesn't mean that plant-based hasn't the technology there hasn't evolved. There are some companies that are now skipping the nuts and seeds and, and finding ways to combine plant proteins to produce milk-like products. Uh, so others maybe had the scientific expertise or the uh, background in molecular gastronomy that you need for the plant side of things, and you just happen to have the right scientist that Sh- got sure. you to this point. And, and their goals might be totally different, right? Mm. So that's the other great, the other thing. This space is so new. There's so many, so many different uh, possibilities that many of these other companies uh, have a different goal. Our goal was different. We were looking at, okay, how can we find a way to create the real thing? Because it was the byproducts that we were really interested in, not really necessarily even the fluid side, mm. uh, because uh, it's a $700 billion industry, and the vast majority of that is actually all the byproducts. And that means the cheeses, the yogurts, the butters, and all those type of things. And to be able to directly access those, we have to start off with that base component. And that base component is real milk, real raw milk. 
Yeah, and how did you know going in that you were focusing on the byproducts? Was it because of Ingrew's first interest in cheese, or was it purely because you you felt that that was sort of the white space, uh, literally? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's both. Um, so if you look at um, the macroeconomics of um, of milk, or globally, milk liquid milk consumption has been dropping over the past few years, whereas dairy byproducts consumption has been increasing over the past few years. And the overall dairy market has also been increasing. So really the whole industry is propped up by the consumption of the byproducts and that's really where we want to go towards. Especially when milk um, is really a commodity, we don't want to be, um, to be challenging low prices of milk when it's being subsidized by the governments. So it's the byproducts that is really valuable for, especially cities like Singapore or Middle East or Africa, where where raw milk is really not accessible to any business there. We want to be able to provide raw milk to these areas so byproduct companies can prop up and start an industry in these areas. Yeah, I do want to talk about the the differences between Asia and, and America and if you had would have done things differently if you were here because here you're up against the you know, the highly subsidized dairy industry and you possibly may not have the best chance of a year even if you were focused on, on byproducts because you would just be outpriced always. That's correct. But we'll get into that uh, to sort of your, your go to market and, and your sort of global plan as such. But you know, one last point on the technology and the creation of your milk-like product, uh, how long did it take from the, the day you, you got started with it to the point where you felt like you had something? It was about, it was several months. Uh, it was about, it, it once again, it really helped that our, our lead scientist has experience already in this area. Because if we were to start entirely from scratch, uh, it could have taken years. So um, having her come into the picture w- with this uh, expertise already in place and already differentiating some of these cells, it became all about optimization and looking at finding ways to make this um, this product happen in the lab. So it took about uh, five or six months before we started seeing early success. Um, following that, uh, we started filing our patents uh, around that. Uh, and uh, here we are today. We are looking at continuing the optimization process and uh, scale up next year. Mm-hmm. And so the product that you get as a result of uh, extracting cells or mammary glands and then feeding it the media and the nutrients, it then lactates and produces a substance. What is that substance? Is it milk? Is it exactly like milk or milk-like? It is the exact composition of milk. And it's the way we do it. That's where our secret sauce is and the methods and the, the type of media that we use and how we go through the process. But at the end of the day, we're able to get that one-to-one match, which is huge. And when I say one-to-one match, we're talking about what that cattle uh, or that bovine was able to secrete prior to this, uh, to what we're doing in the, in the lab. So outside the lab, with what it's doing, that composition is identical. What about the ability to use um, your technology to improve on milk, right? <laughs> because milk, one, before we even go ahead about what you're going to do with milk— one of, the, one of the things that I can't get past is just milk generally, as much as it's consumed globally, has is, m- most people can't even digest milk in the world. Um, secondly, milk tends to have a lot of other things in it that are not good for people's health. So how are you able to 
yes, you're trying to recreate milk, but are you also trying to improve on milk? And perhaps in the beginning, all you're trying to do is create a one-to-one match, and then you will come up with milks that can be consumed by everyone. Sure. So um, let me let me get to the pathogens part first. Mm-hmm. In the production of, in the traditional way of producing milk, milk is harvested from the cow and then is transported to the dairy processors and is mixed with milk from thousands of different cows. So there is a very high chance of um, contamination in in this whole process. So our way of creating milk allows us to get to the source of the milk without having to go through um, the, the chances of contamination. So we can cut out the pathogens that uh, that could be outside and present in existing methods. On top of that, uh, we're also able to um, edit some of the milk production to to remove lactose as well as lower cholesterol and um, increase things like vitamins and other good things that are good for good for the family and good for the baby. So um, another interesting thing that we are focusing on, it's also capturing the snapshot of the lactation cycle of a bovine at its optimal time. So what I mean is when a mother cow gives birth, the first milk that comes out is called the colostrum and it has the highest antibodies, the highest vitamins and the highest uh, level of minerals to help this baby with his first first days of his of his of his newborn life. So this colostrum is extremely valuable in the market and we are able to capture this as a snapshot and provide it as a product to to consumers. That's super fascinating. So it to me it sounds like you are you are able to get all the good that is in milk and that people like without all the bad that no one really wants. And I guess then the next obvious question is um is it safe? How do you know if it's safe? The great thing is, is we're working with the Singapore Food Agency, which is the equivalent of the USDA, FDA here in the States. <clears throat> that's, a bi- that's a really big thing because we're a big part of that safety discussion. Uh, we are helping to build up the tools that are uh, required to test it. Uh, we are working together with, with these agencies, including ASTAR, which is the National Research Institute, to put together these protocols that go through uh, all, not just our um, product, but other products that are coming online that can, that can, that can have a stringent um, testing process. Uh, and once we get that stamp of approval, uh, actually, they are, uh, it's a gold standard in Asia. If you have a Singapore stamp of approval, uh, basically everyone in Asia trusts your quality. That's correct. We do have um, parents from around the region, from Indonesia, from China, who come to Singapore to buy big bottles of, uh, big cans of powdered milk to bring back to feed their babies. It is a, a golden stand of approval. This is an important point. You brought up Singapore. I mean, I think that's a crucial point about a lot of what you're trying to do over here because you're doing it in Singapore, which today, as of now, in the year 2019, almost 2020 now, imports about 90% of food. Is that correct? That's correct. And so uh, Singapore is not looked upon as being a country where the world goes to to get food. I mean, the food there is great when they cook it, but uh, (laughs) it's not an agricultural country is what I'm trying to say. So it sounds like the government is very... um, is sort of on your side and is working with you hand in hand from the get go to make sure that everything can can not only get to the market as quickly as possible but also meet all the stringent standards is is that a correct way of of categorizing it that's correct 
Growing up from Singapore, um, food security has always been a big issue for us. So we are very big on sourcing food from various sources so that we don't put all our eggs in one basket. Um, and currently we have this goal, this, this national mandate, that by the year 2030, we want to be able to create and produce 30% of our nutritional needs. And this means that the government is working through the different agencies to incubate an environment where food tech, ag tech is, is incubated and grown within the country. Yeah, I think that's... Um... I mean, that's very smart. I wish more governments around the world were, were that forward-looking, um, including ours. But uh, <laughs> but perhaps we will get there. And uh, so, when you've obviously you've made this prototype product, now you you know you're onto something. What did you do next? Did you start experimenting, making cheese with it? Was that your first uh, <laughs> go-to? Since that's how this all began. Um, and what have you been able to do with it? And and tell me the results. To, well, for us to be able to get to this point where we can actually produce the real thing um, was, was a huge thing. That was our uh, proof of concept. That was where we wanted to get to. And internally, we decided once we got to a certain point, we're going to go out and raise funds. And that at that point, we can accelerate the process because then we're going to need a much larger team. We're going to need to... Um, there's going to be a lot more folks involved. So that was really what our focus was, and that's where we are now. Um, coming up in Q1 or so, we were, we were planning on having a big media day where we can, we're going to have the milk and some of the byproducts of it uh, for display and uh, have invite some of the you know best folks out there uh, to come and try it in Singapore. So we have some things that we're going to do down the road, but at this point, uh, it's been a huge accomplishment for our team to get to this point. Uh, and uh, our science team is still working hard. We are already in experimentally working with other mammals uh, and uh, mammary glands of other other animals. Uh, however, uh, our focus right now has been uh, optimizing the bovine uh, method. And could you possibly also use this for infant uh, milk for human beings down that, the line? Is that, that any is, difference? That is a massive industry. Uh, we are in talks with a few um, companies, baby formula companies, because mm -hmm. if you think about it, this would be as close to real, you know, mm -hmm. mother's milk possible. We've come a long ways with baby formula over the years, and it's very, very good quality these days. However, it's still very different um, than real mother's milk. So in the future, we can definitely see ourselves uh, working together and maybe maybe even being the next generation of mother's milk uh, that'll, that'll be fed to babies. Interesting. Well, and obviously then um, uh, I, I didn't want to ask this too early on to be uh, a downer, but how much does it cost to make this? Because, <laughs> you know, because if you can't make it cost efficient, this is a nice science project. Absolutely. Um, so we started off with a pretty high number uh, because it was a very early stage. Um, it was about eight, $800 a liter at one point. Um, but uh, we've optimized the process and we're down to... $180. Yeah, about $180. Uh, now, this is a good thing for us because $180 a liter uh, of milk that's not 
that's not coming from a cow is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, from this point, it's only going to be driven down. We're talking about once we get our um, our own media that we're working on, um, once the uh, the food grade synthetic version of FBS that's that's going to be released by a few different companies that's going to be a hundred times cheaper uh, that comes out, as well as the large scale bioreactors uh, that are being designed, we can definitely see uh, the prices coming down dramatically. Uh, we not not uh, close to what we're talking about with two dollars a gallon. <laughs> However, it'll be a premium product uh, that will be in line with what's on the market these days. And how are you planning to take this to the market? I mean, you said in the beginning you were not, you never had the intention of playing in the liquid milk space, um, but still to be able to to scale the production and to be able to bring down the price. Uh, there's there's going to be this entire infrastructure that you're going to have to build around um, your company, whether you decide to sell it directly to consumers in the form of milk or supply it as an ingredient to food service or other food manufacturers to create other products out of. How did that, yeah, just walk me through kind of your thinking process because, and I'll, I'll just say one more thing before you answer, is that the reason I want to stress on this is because you obviously figured out something, right? And it sounds like it hadn't been done before. I, even me who knows nothing about cell-based products, um, can see why this is different and why this is not the same as what what's happening in the cell-based meat space. Uh, it almost seems magical and amazing, but if you've done it, then I'm sure you've, you've done it. And now that's great. You figured out how to make this and maybe it's expensive right now, you could easily mess this up completely now with some dreams of becoming the next big uh, dairy manufacturer or competing with Nestle and building a brand. So tell me about your internal discussion, and perhaps this was the thinking all along, so you didn't have to have an internal discussion, but where do you go once you already have figured out that you've you've got something here? Sure. So M. Kulima M., um, his family runs... Um, clover, and we have seen firsthand how big clover is, how big these dairy processing plants can be, and how expensive they can be. Setting up these things would cost tens of thousands of millions of dollars, and this is not something that we want to do to be able to create impact. We could raise funds, we could build one plant, but that's the end of it. We want to be able to impact the world through working with partners um, that have existing customers, existing logistics, supply chain, um, existing processing plants. So these are the people that we want to work with. So we don't want necessarily to come head-on-head against people like Nestle, Friesland Campina, Unilever. These are brands that we love and these are brands that we respect and we want to enable them to start to transition over from existing ways of of uh, sourcing milk um, slowly in a ramp process to our way of, of, of creating milk. The reason is currently milk is, is, is a commodity and milk sourcing milk is, is a very, uh, sometimes could be a very unstable pattern because cows in different lactation cycles would create different fat content, would have different volumes of milk. So sometimes dairy processing plants, they would have to manage their inventory in and out quite carefully. It's a very fine dance that has low margins. So to be able to tell them that 
they now don't have to worry about that, but can have a consistent and reliable clean source of milk that will really help them in, in giving their customers a consistent source of milk as well. So our plan is um, it's less like something in the dairy industry. It's more like something that is happening in the tech industry. We see ourselves a little like arm semiconductors, where they are the largest chip company in the world that doesn't create a single chip. So we want to be the largest and most innovative dairy company in the world that don't provide and don't create our own dairy. We want to enable existing dairy processes to create the dairy and provide the same source, the same cleanliness and and trust to their customers. This is is a big deal because this allows us to focus on what we do best, innovate, continue the R&D, look at other SKUs, maybe a higher fat uh, or other different type of content um, uh, milks that are out there and continue to to provide this to our partners that are are actually doing this. Uh, Another great thing is these folks already have uh, distribution, uh, consumer bases, uh, working together with these guys, we can actually help them figure out what's the right product for them that they can they can end up selling to their consumers. Um, allows us to be nimble, lean, uh, and and to continue to innovate. So Turtle Tree Labs stays as sort of a, a like a licensing platform. Are you planning to basically license out your technology and the know-how associated with the production of your milk or milk products? Um, and how far along are you in that in understanding what that will take in the sense that, yes, you've done this in your lab, um, but now if you have to do that at a certain volume per day, <clears throat> what kind of equipment will be required? What kind of uh, you know inputs and resources that will be required? Even if you're not doing it, I bet <clears throat> no one like Unilever or Nestle will even look at it if they don't have a sense of what it's going to cost and is it going to be cheaper? I mean, <clears throat> that's a sad thing. There's enough sustainability reasons why if this works people should do it but it comes down to cost so you're right so this is a a good part of 2020 is going to be um r&d into the bioreactors these large-scale reactors that they will end up using as well as starting to build the expertise around the change management because we can't go around just selling people ip and say there you go uh good luck with Mm -hmm. it we have to build that expertise so we can actually hold their hand through the process uh what this plant looks like if this is going to augment your existing source of milk uh, this is where it's going to sit on your in your existing process uh and actually work with partners to enable that part of it that's a very important part of what we do it also becomes an extra revenue source um, as well for us, and uh, is a big part of our growth. Every one of these processing plants are a little bit different. Uh, we, we've seen that uh, the, geographically, their source of water, everything is a little bit different. So it's gonna uh, it's gonna be a very close partnership, and we're gonna have to help them through that process. And so, in terms of revenue sources, it sounds like so you have the licensing of the actual uh, the, the IP, you have value added consulting services, professional services, sort of support um, that help them um, kind of shift their existing processes and adopt this. What other new, like how are you thinking through this as a, as a lean company, kind of operating like a tech company, but, but sort of feeding into the food world? Sure. So for these, um, these technologies, it's all great. But um, we also want to be able to enable consumers to make a conscious choice. So what we'll do is we'll have a Turtle Tree logo um, on every carton that goes out. And this is a volume-based 
um, royalty fee. And this allows consumers to identify the Turtle Tree logo and associate it with the way the milk is made, sustainability, and a circular economy. So um, it's something that we are working towards. We also have on board um, our our advisor, who is a marketing advisor, and he is really the brains uh, behind brands like uh, Blue Bottle, brands like um, Whole, Whole Foods. So we're very excited um, to be working with Billy on that part. Yeah, and I think that's so crucial for the kind of um, product that you're creating and in the kind of space that you're operating in, even though you're not a... And I think that's a very smart idea if you end up doing that because you're, while you're you're in the B2B space... You you want to be looked upon as that stamp of approval, that trusted source. And so the only way you do that is by building some sort of a consumer-facing um, platform of sorts that educates, informs people about how your your milk is produced. Because, you know, we I didn't even get into all of this because I'm assuming that the listener who who's, who's still listening to this podcast and has heard prior episodes of my podcast understands why this is better than dairy production today and while it is made in a lab um this is infinitely more transparent and uh, and and if the regulatory agencies have checked it and they find out it's safe it could be a complete game changer for uh for, for the world the food system globally actually so I, I do think that it is important that consumers who don't know about sustainability and who don't understand that it takes, you know, 700 cows in a typical dairy farm and the amount of, you know, gallons of water takes, what, 1,800 gallons for one, one gallon of milk uh, and the amount of waste that's produced in these dairy farms and, and doesn't see that, 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 in, that insane, barbaric, um, destructive system that produces that glass of milk or the cheese that they love so much, um, it's important that they understand why this is superior, better, safer, and is the way for the future. And I think no one else is going to do that except you're going to have to take on that that role if you are sort of at this point the leader in the space. That's correct. And I've been through that journey myself, sourcing good milk within Asia. I actually went to Indonesia, I went to Thailand, and I evaluated different options work with the farm, the local farmer, work with the local processors, the cooperatives, or the large dairy brands. But there are a lot of problems within the dairy industry in Asia, and I'm sure in other parts of the world. Things like contract farming, politics within the industry, hormones like RBST pump into the cows to increase milk yield. So I have a funny story to share. I even evaluated um, taking over a 200-cow farm at one point. So I, I, visited, I visited the farm. It looked great, but there was no land at all for these cows to, to walk around. There was no grazing land at all. And when I walked in, I saw this male cow bull at a side lying down. So I asked the farmer, hey, what, what's wrong with that, that, that male bull? And the farmer said, well, um, a, few, a few days ago, he was leading a pack of cows in front of this bull. And this bull got really excited. He jumped up and landed on the wrong side of his foot and broke his leg. Oh. So the, the, the whole environment is just um, not, not that great for a healthy cow with calcium <laughs> that would supply good milk. So this, this, whole, this whole environment really shaped um, how I want to drive this company. I really want to focus on replacing um, factory farms because it's really not good for the environment and um, the cows, they, they're not having a good time. 
Yeah, that's the that's an understatement. <laughs> not having a good time. I mean, uh, but uh, how long do you see this process taking to get to the point? Let's just say in in Singapore. Let's focus on Singapore first, and then we'll see what your plans can be uh, in other parts of Asia, and then maybe globally. Uh, yeah, what's the time frame until you're able to sign a, a big partnership with uh, some sort of a dairy manufacturer or a big CPG company that can use your product as an ingredient? We're going to be working um, next year, all year, on on design, bioreactor designs. Um, and hopefully by the end of the year, we're hoping to have a very small scale um, a demo plant. Uh, that can be the, that can be the showcase of how plants will look in the future in Singapore. Uh, following that, I think in 2021 we are going to continue optimizing because it's going to take some time to be able to um, perfect, harden uh, the type of process. One thing that uh, she didn't tell you is these plants, these dairy plants that are out there, these things churn 24-7, and that's what they expect. Uh, these um, dairy processing companies do not stop usually. Uh, it, it's a continuous process. So whatever we end up building has to be rugged. It's got to be, um, uh, it, be able to, to withstand um, all the wear and tear. So we need to be able to get that right before we go out there and put this into any company. Uh, but I do believe that we can get this nailed in uh, by the end of 2021 and uh, and try to bring on some of these other folks uh, in the dairy industry. We've seen a lot of excitement. We've had several meetings already with some dairy processing companies, and many of them love the concept. They see this being a big part of the future uh, because if you look at what's happening with sustainability – it also creates an uncertainty for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they want to have some kind of an insurance policy as well. This can be their insurance policy of what happens at some point when the existing supplies uh, and sources are no longer uh, as uh, reliable. Yeah, I mean, I say that about wh- why we are at the best point in, in, in history at the moment is that because um, I think even the big meat and dairy companies recognize that they are sort of running out of time and and the sort of the writings on the wall that if they don't do things differently their long-term financial sustainability is going to be at risk so maybe not for the next 10 15 years and they won't feel the hit but but if you're looking long term uh you they need to find other ways to produce food especially given you know the that dairy consumption in the form of cheese especially is not necessarily going down and also that you know there are more people being born every day than ever before and so you have those two factors adding in and we're obviously destroying our natural resources in the process um when you have these conversations with them i'm sure they are experts at you know the unit economics and how much they pay to source some of this dairy uh, the the milk that they currently use and process, when they look at something that you're doing, um, what are the toughest questions that you get from them that make you sort of uh, have any doubt in your mind? And I know having doubt as an entrepreneur is not a good thing, but it's it comes with the territory. But um, you know what? What if anything has given you some moment to pause? Because I know in the last few weeks you've been you've been out here in California talking to really smart people. Um, have you extended your timeline? Have you reconsidered some of your go-to-market strategy? Because 
it's one thing to sit and dream about what you're going to be. The other thing is to actually talk to who may be your potential partner and they tell you on your face, there's no way you can supply at this price unless you do X, Y, and Z. Well, a few different things. First of all, the, we were able to to witness the sheer size of the of the machinery. So when I see even existing uh, alternative dairy companies out there, when they when they go in and take a look at how many twenty five thousand, fifty thousand, or uh, sometimes two hundred fifty thousand gallons a day, some of these small co- uh, processing companies go through, uh, it just shows you that this is not going to be an overnight success and the technology is not going to be implemented overnight. So even once we go, uh, once we start implementing our tech, uh, it's maybe, it might be a ramp up process where the first year to two years might be only, only 10% or 20%. And based off of the success, it'll ramp up. So uh, there was a, a lot of learning for us as well, just with these discussions uh, with, with these folks. Uh, another another area is where do we fit in? Do we fit in in that two dollar gallon uh, high volume uh, commodity type, or are we going to be starting off with the high value uh, products, um, the premium products, and so forth that are out there? So there's a, a little bit of a learning curve for us as well in this in this space. And where do you think the first um, sort of rollout of your products are going to be? Uh, is it going to be in Asia only? Are you only focused on Asia in the beginning, or are you currently looking to be sort of a global player? We're going to be definitely in Asia first. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see the the collaboration there. Uh, we're able to work closely with the Singapore Food Agency. They're able to help us go to market much faster. Uh, it's going to be. It's going to take a little longer to come to the U.S. We have a lot of standard standard of identity issues here uh, that will take longer uh, for us to go to market. Not just us, but I can see a lot of other cell based companies also going to market in Asia much faster. There's a lot less lobbyists, uh, virtually none, um, and uh, the demand is there. Uh, currently, milk is not really a commodity in Asia. Yeah, and, and not to forget um, Asia just a few years ago actually surpassed Europe as the largest dairy market in the world. And the per unit um, price of milk in Asia is the lowest. So you can think of this discrepancy as the largest potential for growth in the Asian market. Yeah, so tell me more about the Asian dairy market. I mean, beyond just you know Singapore and Southeast Asia, I know India is obviously a huge uh, player in that space. What, how do you think your technology and your capabilities are going to be able to sort of slow? I wouldn't say I wanted to use the word disrupt, but I'm not going to. Instead, how are you going to help uh, the dairy businesses in these different countries transition in the next few decades? A lot of the dairy that we get from Asia is imported from Australia, New Zealand, and sometimes in Europe and in the US. So we have very little dairy production and output to begin with. So our kind of disruption is really allowing um, non-existent uh, companies, dairy byproduct companies, to, to crop up within this region and creating our own food, really, where previously it was all imported. And and once we're able to get to that raw uh, milk, right, locally, regionally, that also enables all kinds of other businesses uh, from coming up. You can see cheese, new cheese companies or yogurt companies uh, out of Singapore, where traditionally you just couldn't do that. You have to have that raw ingredient first, and everything's imported. Uh, India, by the way, uh, is a huge market. 
but they're just trying to feed their own people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they don't get the opportunity to send that all over the rest of Asia, which is massive. Yeah, and China import um, 80-90% of, of their milk from New Zealand. So this is definitely an, an area that um, we, we could build a stamp of trust from Singapore as well. And another uh, good data is out of the world's five largest baby formula companies, four have production plants in Singapore. So um, these are some of the companies that we can start thinking about working with um, once we have a reliable product in the market. Yeah, so it sounds like in Asia, it's just nothing but opportunity. And if anyone is going to be concerned, it's probably dairy farmers and the dairy industry in New Zealand and Australia, because there isn't one to speak of in, in parts of Southeast Asia specifically, as well as China. So... You know, it allows you to get to market pretty quickly because you're you're basically creating something in a where nothing exists. Um, but you can then also then license the technology to do do processors in other parts of the world, including Australia, um, perhaps even the U.S. But of, but then of course you have you then have to deal with their regulatory environments there. Uh, incumbent industries who are probably not going to be so pleased to uh, all welcome you with open arms. <laughs> That's true. And, well, on, on the other hand, um, if you look at it in a different way, uh, when milk is imported from New Zealand to Asia, it needs to be heavily pasteurized and homogenized so that the milk arrives in a stable condition. And milk is 90% water. To be able to logistically ship such a large volume, such a heavy product to other parts of the world, that is a lot of costs um, involved as well. So if you can transfer some of that cost into um, a, a hardware cost to build plants um, closer to the consumers, these are some um, cost shifts that we can also discuss with these debut processors. So what's next for the company? You are now out of uh, stealth mode. People have heard your name and have a sense of what you're building. And you are out talking to potential partners as well as investors. Where do you see the next? Yeah, you you did allude to where your focus is going to be in, in 2020 and 2021. But what is the next phase of the company? Because you're at this crucial point again. I keep stressing you've, you've, you're on to something, but... It's what you do next that's going to determine if you're going to be relevant two years from now or you're going to be this this experiment gone wrong. Well, <clears throat> I can tell you on my side, it's going to be hard work. We, we, we need to put our heads down, uh, work with our engineering team, and really start uh, not just wait for other people to come in uh, with bioreactor designs and what the future looks like on the production side. But we need to be a big part of that discussion uh, and uh, work very closely with these folks. Take the leadership. We have to take the leadership in the engineering side, uh, bring in some of the best minds around Asia. Uh, we have access to some amazing people at ASTAR, uh, which is Singapore's uh, leading research institute, uh, and uh, and help to design and build what these scale-up processes look like. That's a big part of um, going to market and being able to have a product that we can actually sell at some point. Yeah, and for me, um, the focus of uh, me and the business development team is to start identifying uh, partners. I mean, we have started, but we want a partner to that we can walk through with the whole migration process. We want to help them understand um, the business case behind 
planting um, a, a plant that is close to the consumers and shifting some of their existing milk sources to Turtle Tree's way of creating milk and how that would affect their top line and bottom line. Because we're not just talking about uh, creating the milk and replacing it, but things like having carbon credits or trading the carbon market are also avenues that they can think of to as a, as a secondary source of income. Yeah, that's a fascinating thing to think about. So I did ask this in the beginning, but why Turtle Tree Labs? I'm just curious <laughs> about the name. Sure. So Turtle and Tree, um, these are symbols of longevity. And uh, we really want to uh, the earth and the plants, the animals to, to live uh, as long as we can in, in the same environment. And really, the name rolls off the tongue really well. Turtle Tree. <laughs> Yeah, it does have a, it, especially if you're going to, I can imagine it as a nice stamp on a on a milk <laughs> carton and be like, if this is, or cheese, this is Turtle Tree Lab uh, approved or produced uh, right. or sourced from there. So uh, you're about a year or so into this uh, amazing endeavor of yours. Um, and I'm sure you started off with some assumptions about how this was going to be like. Um, we mentioned this in the beginning, you, the three of you all had, sort of different backgrounds, very tech and software focused, um, at least in the case of both of you. Uh, but now you are understanding the f- way the global food market really works and the intricacies of the dairy industry. There's no way you can be a player in that industry if you don't learn to to be humble and listen to those who have been dominating in that industry for, for decades, whether it's the right or wrong way they went about doing it. That's the way the industry is right now. Um, what surprises you most amongst everything that you've learned so far in talking to dairy processors, in figuring out the science? Um, it's probably going to be tough for you to boil it down to one thing, but what comes to the top of your mind uh, that you didn't know maybe a year ago that you wish you you did? Sure. So for me, um, the biggest surprise, I wouldn't call it a shock, but it's a pleasant surprise, is how educated and um, and warm um, the dairy industry is, even in the U.S. So we have some friends um, who are dairy lobbyists and they are representing dairy processors within the industry. When we had lunch with them a few weeks ago, they actually were aware of the industry. They're aware of, of course, the plant-based um, substitutes. They're aware of um, our whey protein um, friends from Perfect Day, new culture. So they're, they're aware of the technologies around uh, around dairy. And they're actually very welcoming to us because um, they recognize that farming is a very difficult industry to sustain over the long term. Uh, the land is just getting more and more less arable for to grow feed for for the for the animals and the GHG emissions are are just not sustainable for the environment. They recognize all of that and they also share that um, within the dairy industry a lot of older generations are starting to retire from the farming industry. So um, there is also a lack of young energetic farmers who want to step up and take over uh, take over the farms. So um, dairy processors are actually welcoming uh, to to look into other technologies and milk alternatives to sustain their own industry. That, that was a pleasant surprise for me. So <clears throat> now these are dairy processing companies, so these are going to be cl- customers that we'll be hoping to work with in the future. 
Um, but we also see that the biggest disruption or the, the, the impact, um, negative impact maybe even, that's, that's going to be a result is, uh, is going to be the farmers themselves. Uh, who will um, who have a lot of stake? They have farms. They have cattle. This is their livelihood. So there's going to have to we're going to have to work with the governments. We're going to have to work with a lot of other people to see what is their path. How do they transition over? And I know Neil, you mentioned earlier that uh, your friends over at Miyoko are working on a really cool project uh, where they're helping dairy farms, uh, you know, transition over. We're going to need a lot of innovative stuff like that uh, and a lot of other different methods to be able to help some of these folks in the, in the future make this transition because it's, it, at the end of the day, it is going to have an impact. And, and uh, whenever there's a, a shift of wealth going from one area to the other, somebody's always impacted. So we always have to keep that in mind. And so in your entrepreneurship journey so far in building this um – I don't want to call it a food tech company, whatever you want to call it. What still drives you to do the work that you're doing? Because I'm sure you have to learn new things every day. And, uh, and I think it's, it's interesting at this phase when you, you, you've made some progress, but it's, the road ahead is not going to be easy. You've, you've got to stay doubly driven now than you have been for the past year. What's that one thing that gets you out of bed wanting to work on this every day? Yeah, so for me, it's a... Uh is the opportunity to change the world. I am really lucky to be surrounded by a very talented rock star team. And I know we can do it. And uh, this this really drives me every day. So, yeah, I've um, even though I've been in the AI space, the tech space, one thing I do a lot is I complain. <laughs> <laughs> I, I complain about the climate. I claim about, I complain that there's not enough being done, uh, that, uh, you know, uh, my my friends call me Doomsday it's Max, Doomsday Max. <laughs> uh, because all I do is uh, I'm worried that the, the things are going down really quick. So for me, this was huge because I feel like this is going to have that major impact because we're, we're talking about the majority of the population in the world who's still consuming traditional dairy products. Uh, I believe this can have that same level of impact where it can affect the most amount of people uh, with the kind of work that we're doing. So I, I, I really do believe every day when I wake up that I'm going to do something that's going to make that actual change. Uh, and one thing we talked about earlier when it comes to business, there, you don't have to change the world and not make any money. It's all about finding the right fit, finding the right uh, problem to solve. For me, I believe like I believe that we can make that major impact, change the world, and at the same time, uh, make a lot of money doing it. I agree with that. And, you know, your Doomsday Max was a good setup for my, my next and final question, which is, uh, you know, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, we have, we are growing our population at a, at a rapid rate and we are not slowing down our consumption. So we are 7.5 or 6 billion people on the planet today. And we're estimated to be 9.8, almost 10 billion people by the year 2050. It's obvious, and you know this, and people listening to the podcast have heard this a hundred times, is that uh, if you don't change the way we produce food today, and if you don't find an alternative to factory farming, there's no way we can feed the world in 2050 without destroying our planet's life support systems and creating a completely unsustainable planet, uninhabitable planet possibly, where doomsday maxes, <laughs> crazy scenarios can come about. 
But I want to ask you what happens if you get it right. If you succeed, if companies like Turtle Tree Labs actually fulfills its promise of getting another way to produce dairy, another way to produce um, meat, uh, and new ways to produce eggs and other animal-based foods, what is your vision for the food system in 2050 if we all succeed and succeed rapidly? I believe it slows down things dramatically, uh, that deterioration process. Uh, There's no guarantees what's going to happen regardless if we're successful or not. But one thing we can do is we is uh, is slow down that timeline and give us enough time to come up with other methods because there's a lot of other areas that we need to fix as well aside from the food industry. Uh, but uh, we definitely are able to buy the time and uh, we're able to continue feeding people because even uh, without us, this there's no way we can feed the people in this world with existing methods. Uh, even if we do continue to, to destroy the planet, I don't believe that there's enough resources out there to continue feeding the people the current method. Uh, so there, we have no choice but to be able to, to solve these problems. Uh, uh, otherwise, there's a lot of people who will go hungry in, in the future. Yeah, and in the year 2050, when um, all these plant-based or alternative protein companies are successful, I think um, our kids' kids, our grandkids will be asking questions like, can you believe this, this steak used to come from a cow? Can you believe this, this cup of milk used to come from a cow? That's, that is so unhygienic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. And, and I actually think that that future is 100% possible. I hope we do it in time, though. That's my biggest concern. Yeah. And um, so it is a bit of a race against time, and uh, I am glad folks like you are working on this, and uh, other people are willing to go out there and try crazy things like extract stem cells and then find ways to get them to lactate <laughs> so we can produce milk uh, by taking out the factory farm and taking away our dairy, the current methods of producing dairy. So I'm obviously going to be cheering you on as you go on this <laughs> pretty tough journey ahead. Uh, and I and I wish you guys the best of success. Thank you. Thank you, Neil. Uh, I appreciate that. Thanks for having us on. And uh, just last, I just want to say that we're all going to have to come together, every one of us. And uh, we, we promote other companies uh, who are also in the same space and uh, other new entrepreneurs who are thinking about stuff. Uh, you know, this is a, a fight worth uh, having. Uh, and uh, we, we cheer you guys all on as well. Absolutely. Thank you. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, 
Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.